I just want to encourage people to be outside more. It's such a simple thing to be outside in the presence of the trees and the plants and the beings, the non-human beings that share your space. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the Wild Spectacle podcast a limited series where we talk about magnificent experiences we've had on this amazing earth. I am your host, Janice Ray. Here I speak with people who, in nature, happen to experience something, a phenomenon or an event, large or small, that shocks them, that infuses them with mystery or amazement or even fear an encounter that shifts the way they see the world and themselves in it. I want to welcome you to the show today with a very special guest, the writer and my dear friend, Susan Cerulean. Susan and I became friends in the mid-80s in Tallahassee, Florida, where we started a writing group and basically still carry it on. Way back in 06, she published Tracking Desire, a journey after swallowtail kites, which was named an editor's choice by Audubon magazine. Her book, Coming to Pass, Florida's Coastal Islands in a Gulf of Change, was followed by I Have Been Assigned the Single Bird, which Terry Tempest Williams called an elegant memoir of devotion and imagination. Susan works ceaselessly on behalf of wildness. She's especially drawn to the coast and to birds. Thank you so much for being here, Susan. You are so welcome, my friend. I just can't wait to see how you answer this first question. To get you on a wild chart on a scale of 1 to 10, how wild are you? My DNA as a human animal is definitely a 10. My longing to be out in the wild and connected with the wild, definitely a 10. My heart is definitely a 10. But I don't always live in the way of a wild creature because I live part-time in town in Tallahassee and part-time at the coast near the wild edge of the Gulf of Mexico. So I probably, in terms of my living, I'm only a six, let's say. That's beautiful. And I think those first three matter so much more than the last So, Susan, I get to hear your stories a lot. They always amaze me. And I would love for other people to hear at least one of them. If you would tell us the story of a wild, perhaps even the wildest experience that you've had in nature, if you would set the stage and tell us what happened. I'm happy to. And I hope you won't mind if I read a paragraph to set the scene. Is that going to be all right? That'd be awesome. Okay. This is from my book, I Have Been Assigned the Single Bird. I wrote this book. I didn't really know I was writing it, but I was was taking notes about the process of being a caregiver for my father about 10 years ago. I had moved him here to town when his wife died. And we cared for him in a nursing home about a mile from where we live because 
he was so unable to move or um, use his body that we knew we couldn't handle it by ourselves. But I was there all the time. I saw from the inside the experience of both the patient and the caregiver and the staff. And I used that as one braid of this book. And I know it's been important to many people who have found themselves in a similar situation. This um, anecdote that I want to tell you about happened on a rare day when my husband Jeff and I were able to get away from from the caregiving and from our jobs in town and take the, our boat out to the Gulf Coast side of St. Vincent Island at the most remote part of the island that we, we love to visit and where we always see something wild, whether it's alligator tracks in the sand or the actual alligator having a little bath in the Gulf, which you would never expect or nesting gullbill turns, or you just, you just never know. My father had just been accepted by hospice and he was, he was upset by that. He said, I thought hospice was only for dying people. And you know, what's this going to be like? And it, it, it was hard to manage. So having this breather of a day was really important. So this is what I saw. I'm going to read you a little bit and then I'll tell you more about it. The animals that I was watching that I happened upon and sat with for probably about an hour were all shorebirds, three different kinds of shorebirds. And the, the character, the bird in the middle was a red knot, which is a species of, with a beautiful terracotta belly. And it, it's just a gorgeous, extremely endangered shorebird that, that in my mind, is one of the ones that weaves our hemispheres together through its migrations all the way up to the Arctic and then down again to South America twice a year. And it pauses occasionally to, to feed and refuel on our southeastern coast. A red knot hunkered down at the water's edge, a bundle of feather and bone pressed against the sand. We'd been admiring the knots, as they move through North Florida on their migration, five to 10 at a time, mostly. They fed voraciously, plunging their bills over and over into the wet sand at the water's edge, reminding me of a host of paper doll birds, so alike was one to the next. But this one had been stopped short in her unimaginably long travels, at least six nonstop days and nights of flight from the high Arctic to the tip of South America. She had been unable to find and gorge on the protein that, she, that would allow her to recover and regain weight. This bird wasn't going to make it. Her eyes slitted shut and her bill opened and closed rhythmically. I crouched at a distance that I hoped wouldn't add to her distress, watching her sip the last breaths of air she would ever inhale. Now and again, she trembled, but she was not dying alone. And then I saw that right by her head, and she had kind of tilted her bill into the sand, was a sanderling, which is a common bird on our beaches in the winter, especially. And it had nestled right there 
And I'd never seen a Sanderling assume a position like that because they're, they're feisty and they, they, they really are, I think of them as just kind of little champion fighters on the beach. Then at the rear flank of the down bird was a second red knot and just being there. And then between the gulf, the little gulf waves and the birds were two lesser yellow legs, which are tall, beautiful shorebirds that are not very common on this beach. And they were um, tilting their heads from side to side. And it seemed to me, and I believe, that they were just trying to figure out what was going on with that knot on the ground. And then they just stood close. So what I saw was something I had never heard about and certainly have never seen that these four birds were like vigil birds. They were companioning the rare red knot as she died. And so what could that, what could that teach me about what I was doing with my own dad? Well, I watched how my mind kind of tried to figure out, is there a role for me here? And I thought, you know, first I thought as a citizen scientist, as a a retired biologist. Red knots are endangered, highly endangered. Should I look for color flags or bands on her legs that would help scientists understand uh, or know that this knot was dying on this beach eventually? But her feet were tucked under and I knew how stressful and disrespectful it would be to pick up that bird. It's like out of the question. But it was my mind again. And then I wondered, for a moment, should we try to take the bird to a wildlife rehabilitator? And then, you know, that was wrong because we would have to travel by the boat eight miles on, you know, pretty rough, rough waves. What kind of a, what kind of a thing would that be for that bird to go through in the last hours of her life? And then I watched what the other birds were doing, Janice, the other four. And they weren't staring at the bird, wondering what they should do. They were just being with. And so that helped me. I learned from those birds that I needed to, like, relax my fierce attention and, and what can I do this and replace that with just all I can describe it is as love and compassion. And I would say that those birds, by their tender presence, taught me how to bear witness and brought me to tears and opened my heart. And so we just sat there together and I watched the sun glimmer on the beautiful legs of the yellow legs and watch the wind lift the barred feathers of the not dying knot. Watch the tide continue to re rise. We all continued to breathe. And I knew that it was a time for me to, it was a holy time, a time for me to renew my vow to work in any way I could on behalf of all the shorebirds 
the shorebirds who still tie our planet together with their journeys. And so when I went back home to Tallahassee and resumed my life with my dad, I, I saw that the kind of people I wanted to hire to help me care for him, but most especially myself, that my job was not to fix something that will take us all our deaths at some point, but to simply to be with. And I think that was the most wild teaching that I've ever had in my life. And ever since then, Janice, I've been looking for more opportunities to learn and be tutored by the birds that I always think I'm trying to take care of. So what a privilege, right? That's my story. It's so moving and so powerful, Susan. The the two words that just, you know, tore my heart loose from the moorings was tender presence. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that just being with you, I feel your tender presence. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I yours. And I yours. So so what a beautiful, beautiful moment in such a potent time in your life. Thank you so much for that. Because you're an extraordinary observer of nature, a person who pays devoted attention, I think people would love to hear about small spectacles, you know, little happenings that might be close to your home there in Tallahassee. What kind of amazing things do you watch on a daily basis, things that happen regularly for you and your family? What I enjoy the most and what I I love sharing with people are the seasonal comings and goings of the birds. Now, we know that uh, the climate is is changing radically, and we may, in fact, be called upon to perform some kind of earth hospice vows at some point here. But still, I can see... I can see when the cedar waxwings arrive in the usually December or January here, and they're coming from up north, the robins, um, the wintering birds, the goldfinches. And I always pay attention to the day when I no longer hear them and I know they have moved back north. So the robins left quite a long time ago and the goldfinches also, but the the cedar wax wings usually don't leave till the first week in May. And we planted a, a mulberry tree when we first moved into this house 20 years ago. And that is such a place of gathering for many kinds of migrant birds. I like to just be aware of what's coming, what's going, what ones actually are nesting, when the swallowtail kites come. And then a week or two later, the Mississippi kites. I can see those things right here in my suburban neighborhood. And then I look for, well, what can I do to make their lives a little bit better 
uh, in this space they share with so many people. And so that's where, you know, thinking about planting. I think that my job, my job in this lifetime really comes down to watching. And the word that I'm coming to more and more, Janice, is beholding. I think that it includes a sense of reverence and a sense of wonder uh, and a sense of awe. Whenever I'm with my grandson or for my friends or family, I feel like my job is to say, look, look, the cedar wax wings are still here or whatever it is. So I think it's such an easy thing to do, but you have to not let your mind go into what you're what you think you're supposed to be doing for some period of time it's a kind of meditation but it's but it's a fierce attention i love that word susan and and as you were talking i realized there's even another connotation which is sort of reciprocity you know that we're beholden to these things oh god that's so good it definitely rivets that word into the into the sacred Susan, I know you've thought about this next question, and this is our last for, you know, for really all your life. You've done so much for the earth. And I remember when when you and some colleagues started Heart of the Earth, I just remember so many beautiful things that you've done and you're still doing. So the question is, how would you advise someone to better connect with nature right where they are, not traveling across the world to see an eclipse or a big migrations of sandhill cranes, but right where you are, what's your advice on how to rewild? And this is something that you've done too, uh, when you moved up to the farm, especially, and that is to really spend some time thinking about the place where you live in terms of a bioregion. That that was that was at the heart of our our heart of the earth movement and our book that you helped edit between two rivers. There's many ways that people have defined where they live. And in in the last, in Western times, you know, it's certainly the last 500 years, it's all about platting and titles and uh, surveying and straight lines and scraping the earth wherever you want to that you say you own. But I like to look at how does the place define herself or itself? There's been a lot of respect paid in the last years to acknowledging the landowners long before European colonization who lived on this land and were driven off in some fashion in most cases, especially here in the state of Florida. We've lost pretty much everybody that was uh, native to the place. And so you, you can learn about that. And then the idea of a watershed, to trace the watershed that basically nourishes the land that you live on and the community that you live in. So for us, it was really fun and not difficult to look at how in the panhandle of Florida, there are rivers, many rivers that come down from Georgia and Alabama, and they go from the Appalachian Mountains south to the Gulf of Mexico. And there were peoples 6,000 years ago that lived uh, between sets of those rivers. And that's how they define 
who they were and uh, a, a specifically what made that place different on the planet, they knew. So I, I think it's, there are lots of resources out there for how to do this. And I think it's such a worthy endeavor, especially with children, to understand where you live and what supports you. And you definitely would not be traveling more than, you know, to the next river in order to do that. And following, maybe following that river up to its head is a, is just such a precious kind of knowledge to have. That's what I would say, Janice. I love it. Gorgeous. Susan, is there anything else you want to say? And it did anything else come to mind? I just want to encourage people to be outside more. It's such a simple thing to be outside and in the presence of the trees and the plants and the beings, the non-human beings that share your space. If you don't know, have any idea where to begin, that's the place. Susan Cerulean, thank you so much for our long friendship. Thank you for all your labors on behalf of the planet. And thank you for coming on today to be part of the wild spectacle. Thank you. Completely my pleasure, Janice. Thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing here, give this show a thumbs up and forward it to a friend. Thanks to Axel Tree for their beautiful music, Clothe the Fields with Plenty. We're eager for new voices on the show, so if you'd like to tell a story, please be in touch. Don't forget to get out in nature and take a friend, especially a child. Go see a wild phenomenon. Amaze yourself. Connect yourself. I hope you have a wondrous, wildly spectacular day.